would like to invite you to the book of Isaiah in the ninth chapter as we continue our study um, on the four names given to Jesus here in this text of prophecy in the Old Testament of a, of a coming king who, as we've already discussed uh, in association with the first two titles or names, would come and would come first of all to set up his kingdom in the hearts of man, which comes at his first coming through salvation and deliverance as his Holy Spirit comes to live within uh, an individual that that individual's life becomes subject to the direction and the will of God. Um, That person's life becomes a way in which God expresses himself to mankind. We also know that, and the promise of this prophecy is also fulfilled in the future, in what we know of as the millennial kingdom in which Christ will establish a kingdom on the earth for 1,000 years. He will rule and reign during that time. And all of the saints who are all believers um, will reign with him on the earth. There'll be a a restoring of all of mankind. Um, Those who are living will pass into that kingdom and they'll be changed, transformed. And those who have gone before us will be given glorified bodies and they will be on the earth again with us for a thousand years to rule with Christ. And we have this wonderful promise given to us in Isaiah 9 that reminds us of this reality and helps us to remain focused in it. In our study through the, um, the verse, Isaiah 9, verse 6 primarily, <clears throat> but also verses 1 through 7, we have uh, learned that Jesus Christ is a wonderful counselor. And if I was going to subtitle that, it would just be that Jesus is all wise. And he is, he is all wise, meaning that he knows what's best in every situation and in every circumstance. It's not always easy to accept the wisdom of the Lord because it comes with difficulty and it comes with challenges. But what we do know is that Jesus Christ is all wise and that he always does that which is good and right because that is the nature of his character. Not only is he all wise, as he called him the, the wonderful counselor, but he is the mighty God, which refers to the fact that he is all powerful. Jesus Christ does not only know the best path or the best way in life, but he is also powerful to, to accomplish it. He is capable. Um, the idea of wonderful in wonderful counselor means that he often presses us into believing in things that we can't see, to accepting things that we can't understand, to acknowledging things that, that are maybe not uh, uh, understandable to us or, or, or even believable. He asks us to still trust and depend upon him because he is all wise and he is almighty. Our study this morning will take us to this third title, which is that he is the everlasting father. And I just titled this, subtitled this message, he is all caring. So he's all wise, he's all powerful, and he's all caring. The first two of these characteristics are important, but the third is super important because it makes it personal. You can have an all-powerful and an all-wise leader who doesn't care about people, and you have a problematic situation. So right here in this third characteristic of Jesus being the everlasting father, we move into him not just being powerful and not just being wise, but now it makes it personal to us. He he is our father. He is a heavenly father to us, or not a heavenly father, but a, a, a everlasting father to us. He is a father to us. 
And this brings it down to our level. It helps us understand his heart and his passion. It is important to note as we get into this study this morning that this reference to Jesus Christ being the everlasting father in no way distorts the fact that we have a heavenly father. And Jesus Christ is not our heavenly father. He is not God the father. He is an everlasting father, but he is not the father. He is God the son. We know him as God the Son. So there's a distinction is being made between the heavenly Father and this everlasting Father. You see, Jesus is being referred to here as everlasting Father because of a, because of a way that he cares for his people. He is not only the everlasting Father in relation to the, the, length, of his, um, the length of his fathering of his people, but it's the idea of his being an earthly father to people. He is an earthly, this is, this is talking about an earthly fatherhood. And, and people who, who are without fathers on this earth, and many of us, many people have that situation, that scenario, that Jesus Christ is that person that comes into that realm, that enters into that position and that place, and he fulfills. He says in Psalm 68, verse 5, that he is the father to the fatherless. And this is not just referring to what we would consider a a spiritual reality. This is referring to Jesus Christ as a physical father to the fatherless. As somebody who fills a physical role in a physical way. And, and right now, as, as Christians, we feel that, we know that in our hearts, that we have, a, we have a, a father that we may not be able to see right now, but we have a father in Jesus Christ. And, and he is with us and he is and he is leading us and guiding us. So the inference that we have here to Jesus Christ being the everlasting Father is not that he is a replacement of the Heavenly Father. It's not that he's a substitute as the Heavenly Father. It's not that he is the same as the Heavenly Father. The inference is is that he is a fatherly person, that he is a father to the fatherless, and, and he will be in the millennial kingdom. He is now, to those who are saved, a father, figure, and he will be in um, the millennial kingdom a father figure to all of those who are his. And ultimately, he will restore all things. uh, We read in 1 Corinthians 15, ultimately, he'll restore all things to the heavenly father, and he will give them all to him, and he will take his rightful position in the Trinity. But but he is an earthly father to us, one who cares and and, and, um, an all-caring father. Now, this topic this morning could be difficult for some of you. Some of you have grown up without a father. Some of you have grown up with bad fathers, fathers who have perhaps misrepresented the idea of fathering. And therefore, the perspective or the idea of Jesus Christ being a father is something that would be not uh, encouraging to you. And because the comparison that you, are, you make in your mind, the, the comparison is, is if, if Jesus is a father and my earthly father was like this, then, then, then it must not be good. I don't want to have another father because my earthly father was, was, was not a good father. And so we want to remember that a bad or an absent father can, be a catastrophic, can have a catastrophic impact on a child's life. In the same way, a godly father and a godly mother, a godly parent, can have the opposite impact on a child's life. It can, it can really strengthen them in their faith and their walk with the Lord. 
A couple of studies that I, that I read this week that I thought might be helpful for us to understand this idea is that uh, one of the studies was that the majority of children that grow up in a Christian home and then they, they stay in that Christian home, they stay in that Christian faith as they, as they grow old. It's, the statistics are really astronomical as to how many kids grow up in a Christian home and then leave the Christian faith once, the, once their parents, uh, once they're out of the house. I, don't, I, I can't tell you the statistics, but I know it's, it's, it's well above 50% and possibly into the 70s and 80s percent of, of kids who grow up in a Christian home, grow up in the faith, and they're in church every Sunday and they're taught it, but they forsake the faith once they, once they are out of the household. And it's interesting because the study that I read this week said this. It said that the amount of children that, st- the children that stay faithful to the faith that they have been taught their whole life are ones who have strong relationships with their dads. That's what the statistics, is, the st- statistics are. The ones who have a strong faith and a strong walk with their dad, it, 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 there's something that happens to them that causes them to remain in the faith, to continue in the faith after they have grown up and they have grown old. And listen, it's a great honor to your, to your dads who have led you in the faith for you to stay faithful to what they have led you in and what they have taught you and what they have led you to. So maybe you're here this morning and you're one of those who has had a, a wonderful father, a father that has stood by the truth and led you in the faith. Um, praise the Lord for that. And it's such an honor to have. And, 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 and the challenge is, is to continue in that faith. Because that honors your parent. That honors them. That you stay faithful to the faith. If you're here this morning and you don't have that situation, you don't have a father, you didn't have a father that was present in your life, or you didn't have a father that was maybe a good father, maybe you had an abusive father, or you had a hard father, or a mean father, or whatever that might be, my prayer, my prayer this morning is, is that you'll be able to put that aside. And you'll realize that we have another father. And that our Father is Jesus Christ, and He's not mean, and He's not harsh, and He's not cruel, and He's not abusive. He's none of those things. He is a, he is a, a, a faithful and blessed Father. Another study that I did, and I thought it was appropriate to give you some of the statistics, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18, 18.3 million children which is one out of every four children live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. That's pretty, it's, that's a quarter of children that are growing up today. This was in 2018 when this, when this was done. So I don't think it's getting better, it's getting worse. But there, lots of children are growing up without any form of dad in the home. And um, this is not a Christian, this is not a Christian census that was done. It's just a worldly census. He says this, or the census goes on to say, consequently, there is a father, there is a father um, factor in nearly all of social ills facing America today. Four times greater risk of poverty, seven times more likely to get pregnant as a teen, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse or neglect, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, and two times more likely to drop out of high school. These are just some of the many effects of not having a good father or not having a present father in your life. 
And so when we think about that, we just know that there's a value in having a father. There's an importance, a significance to having a father. Now, that being said, you say, well, Pastor John, you can't, my father wasn't good. My father wasn't present in my life. I don't know what to do. The answer is, is that there's another father. There's somebody who is there all the time, faithful and committed. And that's what our, that's where our study takes us in, in the encouragement of these um, people, uh, of God's people in the Old Testament. He encourages them with this caring father figure, some, someone who cares about them in these difficult times. So I want to just read it to you, and then we're going to look at three things and several sub-thoughts that um, I hope to be encouraging to you this morning in regards to the fact that Jesus is our everlasting Father. The Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter number 9, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the, tramp, of the tramping warrior is in battle tumult, and every, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fire for the, fuel for the fire. But to us, or for to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. We're going to focus this morning on three things. If you have an outline, you'll be able to follow along in that outline. Three characteristics, if you will, of Jesus Christ as the everlasting Father. The first one is this, the care of Christ for his people is perpetual. It is perpetual. It it, it doesn't run out. It doesn't end. Um, The word literally means here in the Hebrew, everlasting, endless, something that passes over or continues on. The implications are that the father's care for his people The Father's care for his children, the Lord's care for his children, is something that is is never hindered. When we think about earthly fathers, we we might think about moments, situations, or circumstances where their attitude might change, their perspective might change, their their care for us might change. Things might uh, go down a different path in certain moments or situations. What the Lord is what the Lord is conferring or, or teaching the the children of Israel in this moment, is that God's care and God's love for them and God's compassion for them is is not wavering. 
It never wavers. It doesn't go with your situations or your circumstances. It doesn't flow with the way that things are going in, in the culture. It, none of those things matter when it comes to God's caring for us. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes that's hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to grasp. It's hard to understand because we are humans that are influenced and impacted by so many different things and the way that we feel about people and the way that we view people and the way that we care for people is often directly associated with some type of a circumstance, right? And maybe they've helped us and so we want to help them back or there might be a number of different reasons why we might care for somebody in a situation or, or a circumstance. Maybe they're struggling in this moment and, and we would help them more when they're struggling and, and in other moments that they're not struggling, we would help them less. What the Lord wants us to see and what the Lord wants the children of Israel to see is that, is that his care for them does not waver at all. It doesn't flex, it doesn't change, it doesn't alter. His care for his children is, is completely consistent. It's always constant. It's not like the waves of the sea or like the, the cloud that goes by and there's a, a shadow that's cast and that shadow moves. It's not like Jesus' care for his people is, is not like that. His fatherly care is a consistent or a perpetual fatherly care. There are three things, if you're following along in your notes, that, that God's perpetual care or Christ's perpetual care for his people, three things that, that cannot or do not hinder it. Number one is time does not hinder God's care for his people. This means that it's, un, the, the word means that it's unending as it relates to time. Even, even as we go through life and we're younger and middle-aged and then older and then we pass from this life and go into the next life, God's care for his people doesn't ever, Jesus' care for his people doesn't ever change. Time is not an obstacle for God's eternal, for Christ's eternal care for us. We're reminded in Hebrews 13 and verse number 5 that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And it's so important to know that that word never there means never. John 10 tells us that we will never perish. Those who have Christ in their hearts, they will never perish. That word never matters. If God tells me that something will never happen, I can be assured that it will never happen. That Jesus will never leave us alone. He will never stop caring for us. He will never stop being concerned for us. He will never stop being compassionate towards us. He, his care is perpetual. Time is not a hindrance. John 10 and verse number 28 says, I give them eternal life. I quoted it to you a moment ago, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And you can go on, and there's greater confirmation of just the security that we have in Christ's care. Christ being powerful and Christ being all-knowing are great things, but if Christ is not all-caring, those two things can be problematic for us. Christ cares for us, and his care for us is not subject to time. Not only is it not hindered by time, but it's not hindered by obstacles. The word, the word literally means something that passes over or passes through or continues if you've ever been, you've ever seen a race before, in a race, those who win are those who run and they jump over hurdles and they continue after they jump over that hurdle. 
The ones who lose are the ones who run and they run into the hurdles and they fall down and they don't get back up again and continue. Jesus is the type of caring, loving, compassionate father that he runs the race and there are hurdles there. There are difficulties. There are obstacles placed in our paths. And we face them all the time. Everybody in here faces certain obstacles in our life. And what he wants us to know is that his, his care doesn't change in the midst of those obstacles. His care doesn't fluctuate when we face obstacles. There's going to be obstacles, but his care is never going to change. As a matter of fact, his care is most notable. If you look at the 23rd Psalm, the Bible talks about his care being most noticeable in the midst of great difficulty. The fourth verse of Psalm 23 is, uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You never find the rod and the staff in any of the 23rd Psalm besides this moment of the deepest and darkest hardship. It is those two elements, those two tools, if you will, that the shepherd uses to bring the sheep close. It's in those tools that we recognize God's closeness to us. His his care doesn't change by our obstacles, by the struggles that we face in, in human terms. His care is constant and consistent. Romans 8, verse 35 through 39. You're familiar with this text, I'm sure. The Bible says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we have been killed all the day long. We are, we are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am sure, I am confident. And this is a confidence, folks, that we, we all need to be nurturing and developing in our, in our Christian life. I am confident that death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of our God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His care is not affected. His love is not affected. His compassion is not affected by our circumstances. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, he says to the Apostle Paul, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Christ's care doesn't change. Sometimes we view it differently. Sometimes we walk away from it. Sometimes we reject the care of Christ, but Christ's care is unchanging. When he says that he is the everlasting father, what he is saying is is that this is a fatherly figure that never changes. I know as a dad that I fail in that way miserably. That there are times that I'm disappointed, times times that I'm discouraged, times that my insecurities affect how I parent my own children. There are times that I fail in those ways, but Jesus never does. 
His care and his love for his people is not subject to circumstances or obstacles. The third thing that he's not, his care, his everlasting fatherly care is not hindered by is our mistakes. His care is not hindered by our mistakes. And this is a challenging one as well because we all make mistakes, don't we? And it's in those mistakes that we're often, we often have the tendency to become discouraged, maybe a little bit despondent, and maybe even some of us move into the realm of depression. But I want to say this to you, that even when you make a mistake, God doesn't fail. God doesn't change. His love for you, his compassion for you, his care for you, it is no different than before you failed as it is after you failed. And after you fail, he's just whole, he's, he's, like, he's like Jesus walking on the water with Peter, and Peter falls in, and Jesus is just, Jesus is still right there with him, just holding his hand out, saying, hey, let's go. I heard a preacher once say that when Peter sunk in the water, Peter walked out on his own, keeping his focus on Jesus. When he sunk, he walked back to the boat, holding Jesus' hand. In other words, Jesus took him back to the boat. And that's his care for us. That's how he, he, he consistently walks with us and, and never flexes on how much he cares for us. Listen to what Psalm 103 tells us in verse 10 through 14. He does, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Can we say amen to that? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us for our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Listen to this. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are just dust. When we fail, when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we fall flat on our faces, God's care for us doesn't change. God's care for us doesn't change. His care, first of all, is it is perpetual. It is unchanging, unhindered by any circumstances that we can present to him. The second thought this morning is God's care is paternal. God's care or Christ's care for his people is a paternal care. This is why he is called a father. He is called our everlasting father. He is a father figure to us. He treats us as a father ought to treat us. Again, it doesn't mean that all fathers are going to, let me just be honest, it means that no father is going to live up to the standard. But what it, what it gives us, first of all, if you're a dad, it gives us a, a, something to pursue, because we should be fatherly like God is towards our families. But it also gives us a, a comfort in knowing that we have a father who cares for us in a paternal way. He cares for us in a practical way, in a real way. And, 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 and again, I want you to know this. This is not referring to the heavenly father. It's referring to the eternal, everlasting father. Jesus, the earthly father the one who cared for those people while he walked on the earth and that he lives within us today through his spirit. He continues to father us. 
You have a father living in you who is caring for you through this journey that you're on right now. We couldn't make it on our own, could we? All we have to do is look around us and see what it looks like to try to make it through this life on our own. But we have, a, we have an everlasting father, Jesus Christ, who earthly cares for us. And he will restore his kingdom one day and he will set up a rule in which he will father all of his people in a very, very physical and real way. His care is paternal. It is fatherly. And let me give you some thoughts. If you want to join me, I, want you to, I would like to ask you to turn with me to the book of John. There, there is so much, there are so many passages of Scripture in the Word of God that we could go to to see the paternal care of our God. We can see the care of Christ for us. I just decided to pick out one passage and just walk through it together to show you some of the things that we have in Christ that we can be sure of that as our everlasting Father, these things can be assured to us. We can have confidence in these things. Jesus Christ is our everlasting Father. And in John 10, he's referred to as the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. And there are several things within this um, passage of Scripture of the Good Shepherd that we can embrace about Jesus Christ for ourselves personally. If you think about it, you go back to Psalm 23, which is the shepherd's psalm, right? In the beginning of that verse, the beginning of that passage is the Lord is my shepherd, right? And one of the next words, I shall, one of the, one of the effects I think, I believe that that describes the whole of Psalm 23 in that verse, and then I believe that it continues to explain that further. In other words, the shepherd that we live under determines our, satisf- our satisfaction in life, determines our completeness in life, determines if we need more or are we completely satisfied. And Jesus, as our shepherd, he satisfies his sheep, right? Right? Completely. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Hebrew word there just means to lack. I shall not be in lack. And therefore, all of these other things that go after that. He is our good shepherd or our everlasting father. Join me as we will walk through the 10th chapter. And not the whole chapter, but we'll look at several different things and just make maybe a few brief comments about them. In verse number one, it says, truly, truly, which are two terms meant for us to pay attention. This is a uh, these are focus terms meant to grasp and grab our attention. What I'm getting ready to say is important. Jesus is going to make some comments in the 10th chapter of John that are important to his divine nature. He says in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So the first thing that we see about the good shepherd or the everlasting father is that he always leads us into the truth. 
He always leads us to the door. There are others who are going to try to lead the sheep into the fold in some other path, some other way that that the text describes them as trying to climb over the fence or maybe there's a Maybe there's a spot in the, underneath the fence where they might try to go to, to get into the sheepfold. But what you'll know is this, always know this, the shepherd, the everlasting father, is always going to lead you to the truth. Even in difficult situations or circumstances, he, he will never lead you a different way. And that is why in the world that we live in today, we must be very, very discerning and very, very careful because there are so many, there are so many philosophies that are floating around that seem good and seem right, and we don't take the time to compare them to the Word of God. We don't take the time to compare, are these really biblical philosophies? Because the reality of it is that Satan is going to create philosophies that are close enough to the truth, but yet wrong enough to lead people to another entrance into the, into the sheepfold. Jesus, the heavenly, the everlasting Father, the Good Shepherd, will never lead us away from the truth. He always leads us to the door. He always leads us to the truth. There are systems today that will say we can get into the fold by our good works. Some say we can get into the fold by, our, by ceremonies, traditions, by giving money to the church or going to the church or by being baptized or catechized. And the Bible tells us here that these are all lies. These are deceptions. But we know this, that Jesus is always going to lead us. The good shepherd, the, the everlasting father is always going to lead us to the truth. He's always going to tell us. that He's going to do it in a compassionate, loving, kind way. But he's always going to speak the truth to us. And we all believe this here at Grace Bible Church, that God's word is the only means by which God communicates his truth. So if we're not digging into the source of the truth, we'll have a really hard time discerning between what the world is presenting as truth and what is really truth. As our our everlasting father, Jesus will always lead us to the truth. He will always tell us the truth. And he does it lovingly, but sometimes it doesn't feel good, does it? Sometimes when we hear the truth, it doesn't feel right. But it doesn't mean it's not the truth. Number two, as we go on, the Bible says that he who enters by the door is the, sheep, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. I just wrote down secondly that Jesus knows his sheep Jesus knows his children by name. Really contrast to the way that the world looks at people, we have numbers, right? We have we have little, I mean, I, I, I'm flying, I'm flying out of town today. My my grandmother passed away. Um, I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. And so I'm flying back to Nebraska to be at her funeral this week. And um, um why, why I said that. Numbers. I got a little thing, and it's got a it's got a little identification number on it, and they're going to scan that when I get there, and that's going to tell them that I'm John Prettyman, and that's going to tell them that I can get on the flight, and it's going to tell them all the things that they need to know about me. With God, you're not a number. With our with our with our everlasting Father, you're not a number. You're a name. You're a person that matters to Him, and everything that you go through matters to Him. It doesn't mean that He's always going to deliver us from difficulty. But, but what we can be assured that he cares for us in those difficulties. 
Sometimes our difficulties are the greatest lessons that we have. Sometimes it's the greatest way in which we are molded into the image of Christ. If Christ faced difficulty and we're meant to be in his image, then what, what, what should we expect? That we will also face difficulties, right? However, it doesn't mean that in that process that God doesn't know us personally. That Jesus Christ doesn't care about our personal situation. He knows his sheep by name. I believe that John 11 actually proves and brings this to, to the forefront. I believe that John 11 is literally an illustration of, of John chapter number 10. Jesus goes to Lazarus, and when he cries out to Lazarus, come out of the grave, he calls Lazarus out by name. Some scholars say if he wouldn't have said Lazarus, then all the graves would have opened up. But he said Lazarus, because he knows his sheep by name. If you're a follower of Jesus, he knows you by name. He knows you as a father knows his child. And it's not a, it's not a, it's not a mystical thing. It's not a, a theoretical thing. It's not a fake thing. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Jesus really knows you by name and cares for you like a father cares for his child. Like a good father cares for his child. He knows us by name. He knows each one of us by name. Not, not only that, but I mean, this is one of those areas that I give him a benefit because he says that he knows every hair on my head and has it numbered. So he doesn't have a lot of work to do with me. But if you, in case, in case you were wor- worrying how much he knows about us and how much he cares about us, how many of you know how many hairs you have on your head? Just me. I'm the only one that can raise my hand to that. You know something? He knows more about you than you know about you. He knows more about you than you know about you. And he cares about you. He cares more about you than you care about yourself. And I know that you guys out here that are dads, you know sometimes when you look at your kids and you say, you know what, I care about you more than you do. It's true, isn't it? Jesus cares more about us than we care about ourselves. He knows us by name. Let's go on. Some other characteristics about our wonderful, everlasting father. He says, the sheep hear my voice, and he calls the sheep by name and leads them out. When he goes out, this is a very important truth. It says, when he has brought all of them out, what does he do? He goes before them. I love that. This is a, this is a, this is a term that describes somebody that's paving a path. It's paving away. It's just imagine if you had a, a group of people following you and you were going through a heavy amount of brush and you were that person in the front and you had the, you, maybe you had a machete or something, but your job was to pave a pathway so that everybody else could walk down that path. Everybody else could go down that path because you have paved the way. That's what Jesus does for us as a father would do. He has paved the way. I, I often will... I sometimes, maybe not often, but I sometimes will tell my kids, hey, you need to listen to me because I've been around the block a few times. And what does that mean? I mean, that statement means maybe that's an old statement, but you know what that means? It means that I've paved the way. I've been there. I've walked through it. I know the end of the path that you're on, and I don't want you on it. But I fail at that miserably because I don't even know if my path is the perfect path. But what does the Lord tell us? The Lord tells us that Jesus paves the way for us. He goes before us as the leader ought to do. He doesn't go behind us and push us. 
with a whip. But some of us really think, you know, we think that Jesus is like the guy with the prod in his hand, right? And he's just shocking the sheep to go where he wants them to go. Is that, is that his nature? His fatherly care is such that he gets out in front and he paves a path for us to walk on. It's not an easy path, is it? You can't find anybody in the Bible that suffered more than Jesus did. He paved a path. He tells us in Peter, he says, I, I, have, I have suffered in such a way that you might see it as an example for how you ought to also suffer. Hebrews 2.18, it says this, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, listen, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then in chapter number four, he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every point, every respect was tempted just like we are, yet without sin. Yet us, let, us, let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. He's been there. He's been there. He's done that. You know the old saying, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Jesus has been there. He's, there's nothing that you are going to go through in this life that Jesus hasn't gone through. And as a loving father, he is going to pave a way for you to go. And he's going to pave a way that's the right way. And he's not going to always force us to go down it. He often lets us walk our own path until we start hurting and then he draws us back in, puts us on the right path. Let's go on. He leads them or goes before them. He says in verse number four, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Uh, let me go back here. Um, the sheep follow him, verse number four, the end. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I wrote this down, and I think this is important. Jesus communicates with his children. Jesus talks with us. He walks with us and talks with us. Why does he walk? In? You imagine this picture here, that the sheep, the sheep are so comfortable and confident with the voice of the shepherd that when a, that when a false shepherd or, or someone that would come and want to hurt them comes, they will not follow because they, have, they are so comfortable with the voice of the shepherd. They're so confident in the voice of the shepherd. It's like, um, I remember when I was younger, I worked at a bank after I got out of college, and they would want you to be able to identify uh, counterfeit money. And they didn't teach us how to identify counterfeit money. What they did is they taught us how to identify real money. And they said, if you just handle the real thing over and over again, when you come across the counterfeit, you'll know it. It will just jump right out at you that this is not the real deal. And the Bible tells us that the truth does that. The voice of God through his word, through studying his word, becoming familiar with his voice, that when we come across something that would lead us astray, we will be immediately discerning of that and we will flee from it. His sheep, the Bible says, they know his voice. They know his voice. They're familiar with the voice of the shepherd and therefore they follow him and they refuse to, refollow, they refuse to follow false 
leadership. This is important to note because this identifies the sheep too. This identifies the sheep as well. Those who know the voice of the shepherd and follow him, that's identification. Those who follow false teaching and false leaders, they are not, um, often are not part of the fold. If you want to read in your own time, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9, it talks about the Lord leading, communicating. When your children rise up, teach them good things. When they lay down, you're always teaching truth that they know. We can go on down throughout the text. I'm not going to go any further. I'm going to give you the thoughts here for your notes. And you can read down the rest of chapter number 10. He protects his children. He is the door. That means that nothing gets in or out without his say-so. He is a protector of his children. He is the provider of his children. The Bible says that his sheep go in and out, and they always find what? They always find pasture. I love that. We go in and out. We go in and out. We always find pasture. Why? How does that happen? Where is the spirit? Where is the food at? It's in us. The spirit is in us. The word is with us. We can always find pasture wherever we are, wherever we go. He provides for us. Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He brings us purpose. Verse 10 of the same chapter, the thief cometh not but forth to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. It means purposefully, that they might have purpose in life. Jesus, as our Father, gives us purpose. He gifts us eternal life, as we see in the latter parts of this text. He secures his children. No one is able to snatch them out of the hand of the Father. John, the author, writes in 1 John, I write these things to you in 5.13, that you might believe in the name of the Son of God, and that believing you might know that you have eternal life. Jesus cares for us like a father cares for his children. His care is real. His care is now. And his care will last forever. It will never end. And we can find rest in him knowing that he cares for us. And we can say together as a church, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The last thought this morning is the call of Christ for his people is personal And if you wanted to put a second word beside there, it would be practical. The call of Christ for his people is personal and it is practical. We are called, number one, to cast when we are worried. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. The idea of casting, you, 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 are, you and I are all similar in that we all have worries in life, don't we? We all have things that bring us to a point of perhaps despair or desperation. What he is saying is, when you think about casting, is you're throwing something off. You're throwing something off. So he's saying that you cast all of your cares, all of the things in life that cause you worry, desperation, despair, all of those things he wants you to cast off of yourself and onto him. Why? Because he cares for you. He doesn't want you to carry it. 
Imagine a child going through great difficulty and the parent is watching and saying, I want to carry this for you. Please cast this off onto me. That's what Jesus says to us. But we're so self-sufficient and so self-capable that we refuse to cast it off and we would rather carry it on our own. What is the call that Jesus Christ gives to us? It is to cast all of our cares on the Lord. Give him an opportunity to care for you. Give him an opportunity to father you by giving him the things that cause you pain and worry and letting him deal with them for you. There are things that we're not meant to deal with. In other words, there are things that God did not equip us with the ability to deal with for the very reason that we would be casting, always casting on him. And he doesn't bother him at all. When my kids come to me and they're like, Dad, I'm really struggling with this. That's like the greatest honor in the world, right? That my kids would trust me enough to come to me and say, Dad, I'm really struggling with this. That's like, you know, smile on my face, like, yeah, let's do this. Let's figure this out together. But do you know how often it happens in normal in life? If you're parents, you know it's not often because they figure it out on their own. We do the same thing with our Heavenly Father, with our, with our everlasting Father, with Jesus. We refuse to cast things on him when he wants us to cast things on him. Philippians 4 and verse number 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. What is he saying there? He's saying cast. Cast off your worries. And then he says in the next verse, The peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your heart. It will guard your heart. He calls us to cast when we are worried. He calls us to come when we are tired. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you're feeling that moment in your life when you're just weary, you're tired, you're beat down, you're discouraged, you're depressed, what does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to go to him. He wants us to come to him, to trust that he cares enough to get us through it that he'll put his loving arms around us, his compassionate, caring, fatherly arms around us, and he will love us, and he will care for us, and he will walk with us through it. This is what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to come when we are tired. You may be here this morning, and you may be tired. You may be weary from the rigors of life. You may be facing some great difficulties. What does Jesus want? Jesus wants you to come to him. He's standing there with open arms waiting for us to come. He tells us in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The last thought this morning is he calls us to cry out when we are lost. This can imply a salvific truth We can say when a person doesn't know the Lord that they need to cry out to Jesus for salvation. 
The Bible tells us in John, in Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, that if we believe in our heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, we make confession with our mouth. If we call on to the name of the Lord that we will be saved, we would call that a salvific passage of scripture. If you're lost this morning and you don't know Jesus as your savior, the Bible says call out to him, cry out to him. What do you do when you're lost? Do you get found? Do you find yourself? If you're lost, you can't find that's the whole idea of being lost. What do you do when you're lost in the, out in the middle of nowhere and you know that there might be somebody in earshot of you? What do you start doing? You start yelling. Especially if you know that there's danger around. You're going to yell even louder and louder until you find someone to bring deliverance to you, right? That's what he says here. Maybe, you feel, maybe, you're, not, maybe you're saved this morning, but you just feel lost in life. Maybe the moment of life has made you feel lost. My encouragement to you is, and Jesus, not my encouragement to you, Jesus' encouragement to you is call out. Cry out to Jesus. He is there. He is wanting to hear your voice pleading and, and, and um, requesting his presence. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 and verse 13, forever one who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved or delivered. And there are other passages of scripture that deal with the same thing, but the idea is to cry out to God. When you are lost in life, when you are lost in sin, when you are lost in any way, shape, or form, the way to experience God's care and favor is to cry out to him, to call out to him. So as we close this morning, I pray my prayer for you is that during this season of your life, this is Christmas and we have New Year's coming up and maybe 2021 was not the best year for you and I know 2020 wasn't the greatest year either and now we're going into 2022 and maybe you're dreading it. May we, may we as a church um, embrace the fact that we have an everlasting Father who cares about us, who loves us, who walks with us, who holds us when we're, who holds us when we can't, when we when we're sinking, who lifts us up out of the mire when we can't get out ourselves. We have a Father in heaven who never changes. He's constant and consistent in every way, and he calls us to, he calls us to acknowledge that, and he calls us to lean on it. God wants us to lean on him. So I hope this morning that this was encouraging to you. Jesus is our everlasting Father. Father, we do thank you for your care and your love and your compassion for your people. We, we thank you that you are here for us in whatever difficulty we are facing. And I just pray that we as a church, we as individuals would embrace your fatherly care that we would find comfort in it in our most difficult moments and that we would lean on it, that we would lean on you when things are impossible and even when they're not impossible, but that we would always find you to be our comfort in times of need. We love you and we thank you for this time together in Jesus Christ's name, amen.